0: What's up guys, and thanks for jumping on another episode of The Late Switch Podcast. Brought to you by Indo Meat Noodles, Scotty's cooking tip for this week. A little bit of chicken on top of the meat ring and you've got yourself an absolute winner. That got me through university. I'm still eating it to this day, I only had it a couple of days ago. So head to major supermarkets, load up on the Indo Meat Noodles. We thank them for their support of The Late Switch Podcast. We've got a great episode for you this week. Matalizzo Masachi is jumping on the late switch to have a chat. It's an amazing personal story which saw him migrate from Malawi to Australia. Also, tragedy which struck his family with the passing of his father at such a young age for Mads. We then talk about his progression into touch football and how that all came about. He's now cemented himself in the Australian Men's Open team. And we talk about that journey and how he's gotten to that point as well. It's an amazing chat, one I've thoroughly enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Let's jump into it. This is the Late Switch podcast, and our special guest this week, as such. All right, we've got uh, Madalitzo on the Late Switch podcast. Thanks for uh, giving your time up, uh, Mads. Great to see you. No worries. Thanks for having me on board. Mate, um, we'll probably touch on a bit of footy just to start with. 2020 uh, as a whole was going to be a massive year for you. Um, Trans-Tasman in Newcastle, State of Origin Series, NRL Premiership. um, But it's all been uh, pushed aside with COVID. Um, What have you been doing to to fill the time instead?
1: Um, Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, I was much looking forward to this year, especially coming off um, the World Cup last year. So it is a shame. But... Um, at the moment I've just been keeping it home, um, staying fit, going out for runs, um, just chucking the ball around really, just um, finding different ways to Keep
0: myself entertained and to stay fit. Yeah, as we sort of mentioned, has it been hard? Has it been found it hard to to keep the motivation level? Probably in terms of the fitness levels and stuff like that. Just not knowing when you might get the opportunity to get back out on the on the field. Has it been difficult getting away from the regular training uh, regime that you'd have?
1: Yeah, quite quite a bit. Um, you don't realize, I guess, how good you've got it until it's gone. Um, yeah, you know, I guess the, the thing I miss uh, the most is is actually just running around with the boys, um, you know, chucking the ball around, catching up. Um, you know, you'd be training every week, um, at least once or twice a week with a couple of mates. So that sort of um, is the bit that's that's missing for me. Um, but you know, I've, I've found other ways to to run around. Um, I've been uh, chucking the ball around and, and doing a bit of fitness with James Shute, my my fellow winger. Um, so, Yeah, we've been kind of keeping busy, keeping ourselves uh, motivated together to go outdoors and and have a run around. Otherwise, uh, there's not really much else going on and and we're not working at the moment. Um, I work in the sports industry, so um, we all know how that's been for the past couple of months. Uh, So, yeah, it's mainly been me at home, keeping fit and, and just hanging
0: around with shooting yeah it's been a pretty tricky mate but uh, no doubt looking forward to to getting back out on the park and there's some positive signs um to hopefully get back soon um we'll we'll touch on your backstory; it's it's quite an interesting one um a little bit of publicity as well um which i'm sure some people have seen your stories some nrl stories uh leading you with the nrl touch premiership when that got underway um so some may have heard a little bit but a really interesting background that you've had. Um, Mate, we'll, we'll touch, we'll, we'll start there and, and go back to, to where you grew up uh, and what led you to uh, to come over to Australia.
1: I was born in uh, Malawi, which is in South Central Africa, um, in I guess the major city there that's called Blantyre. Um, so myself uh, and all our family, we were all born there. Um, so I have one brother who's younger uh, named Raphael and, and my mum obviously as well. Uh, so when uh, my, my dad was actually quite smart as a, as a doctor back then, and, and he'd, uh, he'd gotten a scholarship um, to study in the UK, um, which is what he did. Um, and, and the plan was that um, he'd come back to Malawi and he would um, work in Malawi in a new hospital that was being built. Um, obviously, that wasn't ready yet. And so he, um, an opportunity came up for him to come to Australia to study uh, and to work as well at the same time. So he he took that up um, in '96. So I would have been about uh, probably three or four years of age. My brother would have been about two. Um, so he wasn't he wasn't actually talking too much to that stage. Um, yeah. So we we came over about a year or two after he first came over. Uh, myself, my mum, and my brother. Um, and yeah, we we were here for it would have been again a year, um, probably from '98 to '99, um, in which time we were living in in southeastern Sydney. Um, And I was going to school at that time as well, the the local school there. Um, And yeah, so came to 99 when my dad went back uh, for a little bit of time. Unfortunately, got sick uh, and passed away. It all happened quite quickly. Um, And I was in uh, kindergarten at that time, I believe, as well. So we ended up going back to uh, Malawi Um, at that time. uh, We'd been here in Australia under his student visa. Um, so for us it was it was good to be with family. Um, pretty much all our families is still in Malabar, in in Malawi, sorry. so they're um and still to this day they're still in Malawi, they're quite spread out across the country. Um, but it's not actually anywhere near as big as, as what Australia is. So yeah. you know if you think two hours to get from here to to say Newcastle, it, that's about the, the the amount of time it will take um, to cover two major cities in. In Malawi that it's a really small country so yeah it was good to be um I guess with them at that time um and then we we were able to come back um after that time as well so yeah
0: Mate and um just touching on on you, obviously you're obviously quite young at that stage but but what were your memories early on when you when you first came out to Australia and did you find it difficult? Did, you, did your family find it difficult um, to sort of fit into the Australian culture at that time?
1: Quite a quite a shock. I guess you're, you're pretty young, so you don't uh, know too much of, of what's going on. Um, so, you know, I knew Dad was here um, and I knew that we were coming out to, to live with him. I didn't know too much about Australia to begin with. Um, I, I knew next to nothing about it. So, to come out here was um, a completely different experience for us. Um, you know, when we were in Malawi, um, I, I guess the, the the way of living is, is very different in that um, you, you go to school uh, and we were going to a, a Catholic and, and quite a well-off school in Malawi at the time, um, but you'd have people who were sort of well-off and, and other people who weren't quite as well-off. And so, you know, cars were older, cars were, were not as good, um, buses were completely different, um, you know, our equivalent of family vans were actually what we use as, as buses. So when we came to Australia, I remember the first thing that I, that we saw after we got out of the airport, we got to, um, we actually went to Bondi Beach and uh, we, yeah, it was middle of the night too. I, I can't remember what time was um, completely pitch black. And we went, we, we, we basically arrived and we were looking out on the beach and it was the first time that I'd actually seen a beach other than um, the lake in Malawi, called Lake Malawi. Wow. But it was legitimately the first time that I'd actually seen a beach, and, and I couldn't see anything, it was, it was pitch black. <laughs> so I could only hear waves uh, crashing over the beach. And um, yeah, my dad was like, um, if you're looking out there, that's, that's called Bondi Beach. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. But I was like, but I can't see anything. <laughs> so why are you telling me this? So it was a bit of a surreal, weird experience. Um, and then we turned around, and, and we were sort of looking up the street, um, up the parade, and, and there was heaps of cars with lights on the top of them. And, and I asked my dad what, what those were, and he was like, "Oh, those are called taxis." I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. cool, right. yeah. So it, it's just little things like that yeah. that were just so significantly different from, from what we experienced back home in Malawi.
0: And mate, you touched on um, then your father going back to Malawi and, and, and sadly getting sick. Um so, I presume you guys your family was still in Australia at the time. Um, how did you hear the news? Uh, and um, do you have any memories? again, obviously you were still quite young, but uh, a tragic thing to to go through at such a young age.
1: It happened quite quickly. it all it all happened so suddenly for for me particularly. Um, I was in kindergarten at that time and he'd gone back um, to to see his family um, actually, and and, and it was a bit of a holiday for him as well. So I, I think the last conversation from my, from what I can remember, is asking him to bring something back for me, and I think it was a toy or something like that. And I said, "Oh, when will I see you again?" And, and something like that. So um, we were outside Sydney Children's Hospital because that's where he worked um, at that time. So he was a, he was a children's doctor. Um, so when that's that's when we were having that conversation. Um, and then he left and. I don't know how long after that conversation it would have been um, but we're in um, a sort of quiet time in kindergarten and we're all sort of it's like a nap time I guess you could say so we're all laying there with um, pillows and there's quiet music going on and and the teachers have turned off um, the lights in the in the classroom Um, and yeah we're just all laying there just sort of having time to ourselves and uh, two teachers I think came to our classroom and was sort of talking to, because we had two classes that were put together. So they were all sort of conversed and and talking together. And I remember sort of opening my eyes and sort of looking at them like, what's going on? Like, don't don't know what's happening here. And one of the teachers called me over and I was like, oh, okay, what's what's going on? Um, And she said, hey, um, so you're going to go home today. Um, a, A family friend has come to pick you up. And I was like, okay, and that would have been around maybe 2 1 p.m 2 p.m so I didn't really think much of it again um yeah so got taken home and we actually didn't go to my home we went to a family friend's home where my mum was and I think my brother had already been picked up from um, from daycare so he was there as well um and you know my memory is that um everyone was really really sad and, and there was crying and, and there was you know a lot of um sadness in the air so I felt something something things really going on here um and i don't remember who actually told me um that my dad had passed away but it was just sort of just sort of that was it like he he's gone so um the only thing i could do at that time and and my brother as well i think for us again it was surreal and and you just don't understand what's going on Um, all we could do was was hug our mom and that's what we did Um, and that's all i remember of that particular time was that you know he's gone and and my mum was just heartbroken and, and we were too um and then everything just sort of moved into motion pretty quickly after that I, I don't know how soon from that moment that we ended up getting to the airport but but i do know that there was so many family friends from school and, and from church who'd actually come with us to the airport helped us pack and wow. taken us to the airport and, and said goodbye as well it would have been a group of maybe 20 maybe 30 of us wow. who were all saying wow. goodbye um, and i just thought hey um, yeah, going to be seeing you again like I'll, I'll be yeah. back in like a certain amount of time I had absolutely no idea what was what was going on again um, but yeah all just suddenly just like that it was um, it was all happening
0: so back to Malawi uh, for for a period of time. Um, and then, talk us through, obviously um, you got back to Australia. Um, your mum, I believe, uh, got a student visa to be able to do so as well. Um, do you have any recollections of how that all all came back together, and what emotions were there when you when you found out that you would be coming back to australia?
1: yeah she um, when we were in Malawi because um, we were there for for a little bit of time, and I actually was going back to school there as well, so I think I would have been in Malawi for at least half of the, a year maybe a full year um and, and that would have been uh we call it standard one which is basically year two here in australia um so yeah i had a full year there and and, and as often as i could i'd be asking mum when are we going back when are we going back like i have got to go back to school there and gonna go back and see my friends and like that was that was the life of me was living in australia um and, and she'd always say soon or or you know don't know. I don't remember what, what she would how she would respond. But, but I was always asking that question. Um, and yeah, she she decided that um, she would change her career. Um, she was a high school teacher at the time um, up until that point, um, and she was quite a good teacher from from what I hear. Um, and so she decided to change from being a teacher. Um, she also wanted a bit of a career change, I think, uh, and, and decided to become a nurse. Um, and that would allow us to actually be able to come to Australia again under her student visa uh, so that's that's sort of what we did so we would have come back to Australia in December 2000 um, which means that I'd missed that full year of schooling uh, Australian schooling but that's okay because I I was um, schooled in, in, in Malawi anyways um, but we'd missed I guess the big things that everybody cared about here which was obviously the, the, the Olympics uh, yeah. in 2000, mm-hmm. we missed that, um, that that train and um, obviously coming into a new millennium, um, we, we thought nothing of it when, when we were in Malawi. Um, we just sort of went, okay, cool, we're in 2000. Yep. and I didn't realize how, how big a deal it was was here as well. So um, yeah, she came over to be a nurse. Um, she started at TAFE, uh, studied at university as well uh, and then ended up working um, uh, at hospital in, in Cogra uh, and then over at um, uh, over in Wamwick as well.
0: It's an amazing story mate uh, really is and I believe the, the, the community as well like you said that uh, strong community um, support when you had to go back to Malawi but I believe the, the doors were, were open uh, waiting for you guys to get back as well.
1: Absolutely the um, community that we had been involved in prior to going back to Malawi. So I, we were in uh, living in Little Bay at the time, um, and, and I was going to school at St Andrews Primary School in Malabar. Uh, and, and so the the community there was, was great, and we were going to St Andrews Church as well, Catholic Church there. Um, so the community there kind of knew us. Uh, yeah, we, we were coming from overseas, so we were kind of um, new to the whole Australian culture. So they, they really banded together and helped us out throughout the whole time. And, and I had friends from, from class, um, who I'm still actually really, really great friends with today, um, who just helped us out throughout the whole process, helped us get used to the the lifestyle out here and, and gave us whatever advice and, and help that we needed. Uh, and, and then when, when obviously dad passed away, um, they were there for us throughout the whole process um, from making sure that we're okay, making sure that we can get um, to Malawi, and, and and when it came time that um, you know we worked out a way to come back to Australia, they they assisted in, in every step of the way for that as well, in Mum getting a visa and finding out somewhere to to study and how that could all work because um, it's not too easy, I guess, to to come from an African country to to Australia. Um, so their their help, the whole community um, in Malabar was absolutely fantastic and. And, um, you know, I thank them every day and, and I always think about them and, and they're still very close friends with myself and, and my mum as well. And um, a, few of the, a few of the kids are actually in my brother's um, class and so they're actually, they were such great friends as they were growing up through primary school and high school. So, yeah, you, you can never say enough um, thanks to, to the communities and, and the people who are out there who just help people that they that I don't, that I don't know um and those kind of people are, are who you know allow the rest of us to, to be able to have a life that we we would like to get um and, and so yeah it was just a great help from from all of those guys um and, and the priest there, brother pat hurley as well who, who really helped us out and get through the whole thing
0: so we'll probably get into your, your sporting side of things now um how did you get into the sport was it uh, were, you, were you playing other sports as a kid growing up i presume that you obviously had never <laughs> even heard of touch football for a, for a period of time, um, but uh, yeah. how did you start uh, to get linked in?
1: Yeah, had I didn't know anything about sport. Um, Dad was a big soccer fan. He was a he was a Man U uh, fan, um, so you know, he, he was absolutely passionate about it. Mum continues to tell us how he used to record um, every game and watch replays yeah. and replays, you know, on on video. So. Yeah, he was massively into soccer, but we didn't really think much about actually playing any sport. Um, it was more so um, in primary school. Um, I was, you know, Malabar is a, is a, is a rugby league territory area, so um, it, it came down to one week where it was South Sydney versus Sydney Roosters, um, and, and that's, you know, one of the biggest rivalries in, in rugby league okay. or in sport in Australia. So, yeah, it was... Um, Quite interesting, yeah. You know, just one week, we went we went to school on on the Monday, and, and everyone just started going, who's going to win? South Sydney now, Roosters going to win now. Souths are going to win. Souths are better, and I was just like, yeah, Souths, yeah, no Roosters, <laughs> yeah. go go teams, Yeah. So I had no idea, no idea what any of these any of these sports were or teams or anything that that the guys were talking about, but because they're my mates, yeah, you know, I just jumped in, jumped on the on the wagon, and just went for whichever team. So whichever team was supported by the guys I was with at the time. So, yeah, it was a really awkward thing. Um, but I figured out that the, the game would be on Friday night, um, prime time. So I actually asked my mum and dad if I could watch it. Um, so they said yes. Um, and I sat down and tuned in and watched the game of rugby league, Roosters versus Souths. And it was a weird game. I mean, I, I don't remember anything from it, in all honesty. I um, remember the only thing I can remember from that game is looking at the numbers on the screen, on the TV screen, and seeing them change every second. And I'm like, how are they scoring points every single 2nd <laughs> make any sense. Turns out it was a block, that was, yeah. that was block. So I was just so rattled from watching that. I was like, 66, 24, 56. <laughs> I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Um, but the Roosters won. That game. That's the that's the one other thing I can remember from that. Um, and so just from that one game, I, I decided I'm gonna be a Roosters fan. Yeah, yeah, so been with them ever since. Um, and my brother loves to copy everything that I do. I really hated that he loved <laughs> copying, me, but now now I'm glad he did. Um, so he decided to become a Roosters fan as well at the same time that I did.
0: Well, pretty good choice in the end, mate. Back-to-back Premier Scott I pretty much did the <laughs> same thing as a kid, but for some reason I chose Cronulla. Just a bad decision uh, in the end. Well, I mean, they got a premiership, so I mean, I'm pretty happy now. Canada, but right, yeah, yeah you, made a, you made a good decision at the time, I think, <laughs> anyway. Um, so so rugby league um, sort of focused town that you, you were sort of coming up in. Did, from starting to watch it and starting to be a fan, did you get um, involved in rugby league at all or, or did, was touch the first game? Yeah, no,
1: rugby league was uh, definitely the first one. Um, it would have been... I would have been maybe 11 11 years of age that I first decided to play rugby league and again um, influenced by all my friends who were playing rugby league for different clubs all over the South Sydney area so um, they were all trying to convince me to play and I think the first game I ever played was actually for our school team. Um, We played in a round robin um, out around uh, Rollins Park um, over at Daisyville Um, and Again, I had little to no idea of, of how to play one of the one of the um, classmates' dads was actually our coach um, and I still remember him very well to this day and uh, I didn't know the rules very well I just you know I, I think people knew that i can I'm pretty fast i guess and I'm, I'm pretty agile so they just plopped me on the wing um, and I just played i don't I don't remember running the ball too much I only remember being tackled once or, or getting into a tackle and being bent the wrong way and, and my legs just, my whole body just hurt straight away. Is <laughs> just the game that everyone wants to play. Um, but I enjoyed it at the end of the day and, and at the end of the day I was playing with some mates so I, I stuck by. it. Um, started playing rugby league outside of school um, for Mascot and, and Southeastern in the South Sydney area. Um, managed to get into the junior South Sydney um, teams in under-13s, under-14s. Um, and didn't quite make it into into Harold um, Matthews so I just decided well at that time I was um, in high school so I decided to focus on my studies because that's around the time that HSC was coming through so decided to give that up Um, but at the same time in the offseason of rugby league um, mates and I would play touch footy they were playing touch footy so I decided to come along and, and play a little bit as well. Um, again, we were playing down at Daisyville um, from about the age of eleven. Um, so that was sort of a, a pastime uh, when rugby league wasn't happening. It just kept me fit, kept me running around, and gave me something to do. Um, so I was kind of doing the two hand in hand. But you know, never in a million years did I think I'd be playing touch football. I guess more professionally and, and, and at a level that I am right now. Um, but I was playing the two hand in hand. So I guess once rugby league. Um, once I figured I wasn't really gonna crack it in, in rugby league I decided to give Touch Free more of a go um, and another mate convinced me to to try out for the board and cup team um, at Eastern Suburbs. So uh, I went down, he's 15, 14, I think I was 14, 14 or 15 um, and all of the other guys were like in their 20s, 30s, 40s. So I, I was so worried and so scared but again I just they passed me the ball and I just ran through everyone. Um, I was lightning quick at that time. So they were amazing. They were like, we got to get this guy back. Uh, so that sort of took off the, the touch football um, career for me. Um, I'd been playing junior state cup um, in between that time from 11 till about 14, 15. Um, and then I guess when I started playing Gordon Cup is where I sort of thought, oh, okay, played a little bit more seriously. Um, but at the same time, I still wasn't thinking that I was going to take it that far. So it all just sort
0: of happened from there. So how did you take that next step from playing board and cup into probably some of the higher um, type levels of touch? So when did you start to get into like men's open types teams? And I'm sure you would have started to go to NTLs and stuff like that. Was there um, was there anyone in particular that noticed you and, and sort of encouraged you to go to that next step or... Or was it something that you pursued yourself?
1: Um, it would have been the older guys at, at Eastern Suburbs Roosters um, at the time. Um, they were sort of quite quite a powerhouse. I think they were they were sort of in around quarterfinals, semi-finals at Warren Cup and State Cup, and and they had the likes of um, Chris Johnson, Peter Watkins, um, Jarrett Wood, Jameson Chan, so guys who had played for Australia or were playing for Australia. Um, I think Gary Sando towards the the time that I actually. Made my Premier League debut, um, and we also had Matt Tope, Terry Deegan, um, and then you know Ed Burrell, Dean Williams, uh, and, and Kane Rainey. So we had Australian players, we had New Zealand players, international players who were really, really good. Uh, and myself and a couple of the younger guys um, who were coming through at the time, we just played um, a couple of board and Cups in Division Two and Division One. Uh, we won it in Division Two and. Then we played state cup as well, and and that was sort of a, a mix between Division One and Division Two teams. And we actually made the grand final. Um, that was my first year of state cup, open state cup, um, and we played against West uh, Magpies, and they were a Division One team, and we were still technically a Division Two team. Yep. So that was an achievement itself. Um, and we we got pumped. I think that game six one. By that time, with state cup, like I hadn't had a tournament. Any anyway, the year, as tough um, and as hot as as that was, mm. so that was quite a quite a battle. By the time we got to the grand final, but I think the older guys sort of saw what the the juniors who were coming through, myself and, and a couple of the other guys as well, um, and, and so they took us under their wing. They they brought us into their into their squad, I guess, an extended squad during um, during preseason. So we trained with them a couple of times um, whilst the the Division One and Division Two guys were training. We get to know, um, I guess, what it's like to be a, more of a professional player and, and, and learn the game uh, and, and gain some more skills, I guess, and, and some experience. Um, again, I, I still wasn't thinking that this was going to be my thing. I was just sort of coming along for the ride and was enjoying my time. It was it was really, really great playing with those guys, um, but I didn't get picked in the, in the final, I guess, Premier League team straight away. So, um, again, I actually quit touch footy um, towards the end of that year so that I could focus completely on HSC. Um, so I wasn't playing any sport at all. I, I really wanted to get my studies right um, because I wanted to go to university. That was my ultimate goal at that time. Um, but yeah, Chris Johnson and, and Jarrett Wood, those guys are really smart guys. And Chris Johnson's actually the coach of um, East now. Um, really smart guys. So they they taught me a lot of things as I was coming through. Um, and I was playing middle and link at that time. So I think I was- yeah, really? so I was, yeah. I started off um, middle and link uh, before I went to the wing. So throughout juniors, um, all the way through to about, to actually made my Premier League debut in 2010, I've been playing at the link. Um, and playing at school, I was playing link, um, playing in uh, board and cup and, and division one, division two games, I was playing link. Um, and I'd actually made Rebels teams and things like that playing links. So uh, Wade Jenkins eventually became the coach of Roosters around that time um, and he'd been watching me play at Junior State Cup um, and he sort of saw, I guess, the potential that I had and a couple of the other guys. So he sort of turned a leaf on, on the team a little bit and, and a couple of us, myself, Jack Nermy and, and Clay Studd and Jay Barron, um, we were making our debuts into the, into the Premier League team at that time. Um, and so 2010 was kind of our year, our, our coming out party in a way. So when Wade said, I want you to play Premier League, I was pretty excited. I was like, oh, yeah, I finally made it because I haven't made any, any teams before. I've, I've made Rebels teams, obviously, but no sort of junior international teams. I hadn't made any sort of state teams. I never made CCC or anything like that um much to my disappointment so when wade said mate i want you to play premier league i was like yeah awesome can't wait let's go and then he was like but i want you to play on the wing and my emotions were just through the roof i was so so disappointed and sad i wasn't didn't quite understand you know why he would put me on the wing when i my whole career played in the link um but i said fine all right i'll play on the wing so 2010 is when I sort of played on the wing for the first time. And that was when I made my Premier League debut. And lo and behold, that was one of the greatest years that we've had, um, I think, in, in Premier League. We won the Warden Cup Cup Double um, with the likes of Matt Tope, Deegs, um, Dean Williams, Kane Rainey, all those guys. So that was quite a quite a journey in your first year. I want to just
0: touch back on um, that uh, conversation that you had with, with Wade about making their transition. You said how disappointed you were at that stage was there any specific reason that he said obviously it's uh, it's worked out for you in the end so you could almost put it down to to him i'm sure he he's claiming that he's made you one of the best wingers in the in the world at the moment but um why was it specifically that disappointed you i'm probably totally touching on this from a maybe a young kid that's listening in there was always this old stigma about if you got picked on the wing, you know, you were probably the last ones picked in the team. It's really not yeah. the case anymore. The wingers are the first players picked in the team. But what were the emotions going through you? And what was the decision behind him making that change?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely was disappointed and and um, probably a little bit angry and sad that, that I, you know, he was putting me on the wing. And, and at that time, just like you said, um, you know, no one really thought of a wing as a, as a great position to be in, you, you're just sort of that guy out there on the sideline who's got to hold his wing and, and just catch the ball and, and that's all the job was and I just didn't, I wasn't interested in that. Um, you know I, I playing for school I, I, I'd been playing at Link and, and I was I, in my mind I was killing it at school and, and um, we went to the CCC tournament and um, I thought I'd kill that as well and, and um, Stevie Roberts was actually the, the coach of uh, the CCC team. So he was there as a selector and, you know, I thought I'd done really well and didn't end up getting selected in a team at all. So I was just disappointed. Um, so yeah, Link had always been my position and I wanted to play Link. And so when Wade told me that he wanted me to play on the wing, I was like, well, why would you, why would you do that? Like you literally watched me play at Junior State Cup like a few months ago at Link. Mm. that's that's my spot I want to play link um, but the way that he worded it was actually really encouraging and quite smart in a way that he wanted me to develop on the wing understand the game um, in, in his mind and, and probably he was right I wasn't quite ready to make the step from say juniors under the under 18s where it's quite easy to score tries and you know the games a lot slower coming into an opens program, especially a Premier League program. At that time, you had heaps of Aussie, international players, New Zealand players, like I said. So he, he would have thought I wasn't quite ready, but he wants me in the team and he wants me to at least experience, get some experience, develop, learn from the other guys, be around the team as well. Um, and, and so when he, said that, um, when he said that to me, I, I just kind of thought, okay, Fine, I'll, I'll play on the wing. He was like, you don't, you're you not going to be on the wing forever. That's actually what he told me. You're not going to be there forever. Play there for a year. Play there for two years. We'll see how you go. You know, We just want you to develop, and, and we've got the other spots like sorted right now. We want you to develop. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll play on the wing. It'll be for a year or two years. Ten years later, I'm, I'm still playing on the wing. <laughs> But, yeah, that's basically... And, and it was actually a smart thing, I think, by him. And, and he did that as well for, not just for me, it was for other younger players as well as they were coming through. Um, you know, he'd sort of sit them on the wing or he'd have them as a, a situational player come out and, and play a couple of minutes or maybe five or ten minutes a game um, so that they could get that experience and, and start to build into, um, you know, the, the, the calibre of player that you need in, in Premier League. So I sort of took that and... and train with the team, continue to play. And, um, you know, I remember how many times he, he would blow up at me. Um, I think I gave away, you know, a try. I let in a try. And it wasn't the fact that I'd let in the try that he was really, really annoyed. Uh, it was the fact that I'd let them uh, let them through the line, he'd scooted through the line and had just given up and just stopped chasing. And he was like, you, you never give up. You never stop chasing. You chase them until they get, into the dead ball line or they go over the sideline or until they get stopped you make sure you follow the play all the way through so that was probably a blow up that that stuck really well in my mind um but yeah that's if if, i guess if if younger players um if you're a young player and, and you're getting your coach telling you i need you to do this i need you to try this i need you to play limited minutes or i need you to play on the wing it's not necessarily a bad thing, and I sort of learned that in hindsight. At the time, you know, I'm young and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm the man and I want to be, you know, the best player in the team. Um, but, you know, the coach has, has the your best interests um, at heart. He, he really They really want you to succeed. Um, and, and sometimes the call that they make might not seem right to you, but they're seeing a bigger picture that, Will hopefully help you excel down the long run, rather than just thinking about I want to play thirty minutes a game. I want to play in the middle and set up and try and set up forty tries a game. You know, it's not it's not quite how it works. So that was probably that was a definitely a really good piece that he that he gave to me at that time. Um, didn't understand it, but. Nowadays, I look back and
0: think, actually, that was a really good call. How did you find um, moving into the Premier sort of division um, to start with, obviously, at a young age, coming up against so many experienced players? um, And in a 2 part to the question, when did you then, or did you start to think that wing is going to be your position? And then what was the next step to try and take that next level of representation? I presume it would be New South Wales selection
1: definitely I did not want to stay on the wing I was ready to (laughs) move inside but you know what at the end of the day I I can't pass for the life of me terrible at passing so um, I guess coming coming through there was um, a lot of great players who we got to play against Um, Dylan Hennessy being first and foremost the guy who comes to mind probably because I was on the wing and he'd always be trying to throw it long against me and half the time was, was scoring those tries. So that really frustrated me. But he was a guy I looked up to um, from, from day one. And um, you know, there were other great, great wingers actually, like um, Georgie Palau, who, who at that time was really excelling. Um, and my own team, really, I, I was in awe of my own team because I got to see them play for Australia in the mixed or in the, um, in the men's teams um we really had quite a great team and some of them were playing for um for new zealand as well so that actually go head to head um so that was really 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 cool but taking that sort of next step was i don't know just sort of eluded me um i think that at some point when i was uh, 19 maybe it would have been 2011 um i wasn't getting picked in say junior origin teams and, and junior australian teams um i didn't play origin um, at all until i was 20. so that was pretty much my last year to be eligible to play in that whole thing yep. um and so coming into that program of sort of a more elite um, elite group of players was completely foreign to me i just sort of still thought of it as running around and, and hanging out with mates but i started to take it a little bit more seriously um so when we played origin was actually playing with the likes of um, of Simon Lang and Caden Winyard and, and and guys like that. And um, you know, on the other side of the pitch um, in the Queensland jersey would have been guys like Adam Fried and and um, uh, Jaden Benbow and and guys like that. But I had no idea who any of them were because yeah, right. I didn't watch that much. Yeah, so I, I was sort of thinking about myself and, and just playing myself, and uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really watch games online. I didn't really watch or talk to anybody about touch footy. Like at the end of the day, when I got off the pitch, I was talking about footy, I was talking about something else. So um, getting to play with and against those guys was sort of like a, oh, here we go, okay. There's a little bit more here and I could actually do something and, and play a proper touch football career here. Um, and I didn't quite make the uh, junior Australian team at that time um, and it's actually really funny because they—it wasn't known that I was eligible to play or to be I selected. It. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I, I, um, Paul Spear was the coach at that time, and, and Michael Musa was was the assistant coach. And this was again sort of the last year that I was eligible to play. So I played against um, West uh, West Magpies quite often um, when I was at East, and you know Tony Trad and Paul Spear and, and, and all those guys were around um at that time so they'd seen me play juniors and and for east and, and things like that but it wasn't yet known i guess um that i was eligible to play for firstly that i was young enough and, and maybe it was because it wasn't known that i was um permanent resident in australia or something like that so yep. didn't really know but uh chris johnson was the one who said um he said to the coaches why why haven't you even picked him in the in the squad like all good if you don't pick him in the team but why is he not even in the squad um, and so I think it, that's sort of what I guess turned on the light bulb for, for everybody who, who had seen me play um, to go oh this guy actually can play for New South Wales he can play for Australia okay well let's have a look at it so um, i would missed all the all the training all the selection camps I guess for the Australian team um, but Sweezy actually called me when I was at uni games um, in Tamworth and, and he told me well Chris Johnson actually called me first and said, "Mate, they're they they going to have a look at you. You'll probably get a call soon. Um, so I just want to let you know that you're you're in the running." And I was like, "Oh, thanks so much, mate. Like I really appreciate that." And then CZ called me um, not not too soon after, saying, "Mate, we didn't know we we didn't know that you yes. like, could have made it." Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, that's it's all good, I guess. Sir. All good." Um, and he said, "Mate, you've unfortunately we've already had the training camps um, for the squad, but." We're going to be at uh, the uh, State of Origin in 2012. We're going to be there. Um, we're going to watch you play. We'll, we'll keep an eye on you. Um, just do what you've been doing. Um, I've seen you play in and in Cup, so I, I kind of know who you are. Um, so, just go out there, do your thing, and, and you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see if you get picked. Um, so, managed to kill it at, at Origin. Um, I think we beat, well, we beat Queensland 3-0, actually.
0: 3-0, yeah, it. yeah, 3-0. yeah. <laughs>
1: So that was sort of my first exposure to a high level of, of touch footy and, and we killed it 3-0. And um, all I'd been told really um, was that the, the Queenslanders love to throw it long, they love a long ball. So I thought, sweet, long ball's coming all day, cool. I'll play a bit loose and, and hang out there. Lo and behold, they were throwing it left to right, long ball's all day, and I was just either picking them off or, or making the touch pieces. So I was like, yeah, sweet, got this in the bag um won that series three nil we were happy boys um and then didn't know if i would make the australian team or not um but got told eventually i'm in the team so thought yeah awesome i've I've made it and and, you know for anybody who was around me at the time everyone was, was really happy and and um supported me throughout the whole thing so it was really really uh great i guess to to cap off that sort of 2010 to 2011 um space of time where I went from just playing juniors to playing Premier League to all of a sudden playing Origin in, in Australia in New Zealand in twenty
0: thirteen. What did that mean to you, mate? To to get the Australian jersey. Obviously we've touched on where you've come from and, and how you've got there, but um, what did it mean to you to represent what is now well, I was gonna say your adopted country, but for, for us it, it's it's your country now. It's your country that's who you're representing. What what did it mean to get the green and gold?
1: Australia is my home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an Australian citizen now. I, I, I wouldn't think of life being any any different than what it is now. Um, so when I did get the call up that I was going to play for Australia, I just I was over the moon. I was ecstatic um, to to think about, I guess, where I'd come from and, and the life that I'd have had um, both on and off the field. It was just um, yeah, you know, a massive breath. Of fresh air and and I was just so excited to get to play in a green and gold jersey um, because I'd wanted to play for Australia in 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 rugby league, but you know unfortunately that didn't work out. So to to be able to make it in in touch football was was still just as just as good. Um, so I was I was excited. I couldn't wait to get into that first training camp. Um, didn't I? Don't think I knew more than say. I don't know, maybe four, four or five people wow. in the <laughs> team. Yeah, and I just, uh, you know, none of them were, were from my club either. So I, I yeah. really felt like I was going in there with with no idea of what I was in for. So that was quite an interesting change into playing in an Australian jersey. What
0: was your uh, memories of that debut, mate, against New Zealand? Um, a, a tough... Uh, with any match against New Zealand is going to be tough, but How did you find it? Were you nervous? Um, How did you go?
1: Um, I wasn't nervous. I think I was just excited. I I, I couldn't wait to play Um, and and we went to New Zealand um, to play as well uh, in around Auckland and at no point do I think do I remember being worried or scared or nervous or anxious. I was just excited to be amongst um, um, in the campaign involved in it like I said, when I went to the first camp, I didn't know anybody um, in a team, and I remember Geordie Marshall King actually came and picked me up as I was running from the train station to um, to the field. <laughs> um, and from that point to getting to New Zealand and being in the team and and with the boys, and you know, you, you've got roomies and and you're just you're having dinner together and all that. I just I felt at ease. I felt like uh, I just I was just like, So when that, game, that first game came around, I actually don't remember too much about the, the whole series. Um, I think I got scored on maybe twice or, or three times maybe. Um, but they were a fast side. It was, it was a fast game. It was, um, it was exciting. It was a high scoring game, I think, as well, all three of them. Geordie Marshall King, again, killed it as well. And we had, um, we had Sam Brisby as well in our team and, and, and Lange. So quite a few of the guys were now in the opens program um, with me as well, which is really cool were there at that time. And Sveezy and, and Musa just made it so easy to get through as well. So just nothing but, but fond memories of, of being there. Um, it would have been nice, um, I guess, to have family and friends, to play in front of family and friends. Um, yep. Obviously, going to New Zealand is quite difficult. But just being around the boys and, and their families just made it all, all the better.
0: Been a mainstay in the Australian men's open side now for a number of years. Um, there's been, obviously, plenty of highlights, a lot of serious wins, Trans Tasman's. World well, Cups as well. Um, what are some of the the ones that stick out for you um, wearing the green and gold?
1: Debut would have to be one uh, yep. in two thousand eighteen in Rotorua. Um, that's one that all that'll stick out to me. And that campaign was just wet. It was so wet the whole time. It was pouring down. Um, I think game two and game game three was was torrential. It was it was mm. unbelievable. Um, yeah, so game one, I think I played a. I actually think I played a really good game. Um, I was really happy with myself. Um, game two was more of a battle, and they actually scored two trials on me, um, and that was really rattling because I think that was the first time that I experienced playing against New Zealand men's opens players, and they kind of play a different style to to what we do over here. Um, they're faster, they're light-footed. Uh, you know, they just have that ability to to make a man miss um, no matter where you are or no matter at the time, if you think you've actually got them, you sleep for a second and they're gone. So um, they scored a try on me somehow and Mira Graham just started yelling at me
0: for no particular reason. <laughs> what was now, he saying?
1: <laughs> oh, they scored a try and they were going back to the halfway. And all I just remember um, happening is just hearing out of the corner, of, like in my in my left ear actually, um, just hearing, Masachi, 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 Masachi. I was like, who's this, this guy calling my name right now? <laughs> I turned around and it's me Graham looking directly at me and he said something like, oh, good, good effort, mate, good effort, let that one in, something like that. <laughs> and I was just looking at him like, okay, cool. And I just kept running back to halfway and I was like, this Guy's trying to actually get under my skin, yeah, and he kept doing it all game too. He's even done it in the NRL Touch Premiership to me <laughs> uh, when we went over last year, so he, he lost to getting your ear. Um, and that was sort of the first time that I realized that they actually know who I am too, so wow. that kind of rattled me a little bit more, yeah. So it was kind of a mix of, of excitement and and um and nerves as well. And didn't get to play in the third game, which went down to uh drop off, um in the in the torrential rain and i was in the side on the sideline wearing a jacket and a hat and, and shorts and got soaked i was absolutely drenched so that was um probably the greatest uh, greatest memories and and you know last year was was the world cup as well which topped off the cake that, that was um fantastic to, to campaign to be involved in um especially because i've been in the squad from the previous, just after the previous World Cup, all the way through um, to that World Cup, it was really good to, to be involved in the team
0: throughout. What were the highlights, mate, of that World Cup in Malaysia? We've spoken to a few that have jumped on the podcast, and obviously the conditions were, were something that is uh, brought up regularly. <laughs> but, uh, well, talk us through how tough it actually was out there, and um, obviously taking the gold in, in, the, in the final. It was a tough final as well against New Zealand. Uh, remember, you're getting um at least one try might have got a couple i can't quite recall but uh, yeah um it was it was close mate only one nil at half time
1: tough campaigns to be involved in and that felt like a new south Wales state cup for a four days straight where it's just hot every day um and um i think some of the guys would have said the the training regimes that we had leading into that, um, into that World Cup we we're, were pretty full on. We, we were doing um, hot yoga um, yeah. for a couple of our camps, yeah. So um, I picked up a couple of the boys from the airport, I think Pete Norman and Adam Pride from the airport right before, and, and Traddy hadn't told us where we were gonna go, so um, I was just nervous because I expected us to get fitness tested. Um, so I was re- kind of nervous, but ready for that. Um, and then he said, we're not doing fitness testing. And I was like, yes, yeah, sweet, sweet. <laughs> I uh, would have rather done the fitness test. Yeah, yeah,
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was full on. We did the Vikram yoga and the next day we had our training camp and I had the biggest headache um, because it turns out that I, I, I lose a lot of nutrient uh, nutrients and, and minerals and that sort of stuff uh, when I sweat. So I was like losing my mind. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so from then on, I. I had to, um, you know, be drinking a lot of water, a lot of Powerade and, and supplements and things like that to make sure that I'm actually not just keeping myself hydrated, but ensuring that my body's still in, in good condition for that campaign in Malaysia. But in all honesty, that still didn't prepare us enough when we got to Malaysia. It was, it was hot. I think mm-hmm. one of the days got to 52 degrees. Um, luckily, we weren't playing at that time that that the uh, the thermometer was saying that, but yeah. it was. It was an up and down week of hot weather to, to rain and lightning storms.
0: So amazing career so far, plenty of uh, years left in, in the tank, but um, you've mentioned a few players probably from your early days coming through the club scene. Um, but who are some of the other people that have influenced your career? And probably um, if there's anyone specifically that have made, developed your game on the wing at a high level, but, um, any players or coaches that have really had a, a massive influence on on uh, getting to where you are right now? Yeah,
1: there's been a few, um, as there would for any any sort of player in, in my position. Um, yeah, Wade Jenkins was uh, sort of the guy who, who transitioned me from just being a, a regular player to becoming more of an elite, um, elite winger. Um, prior to that was the late Greg Heath who, who sort of brought me into – Warden Cup, State Cup, playing Division Division One and Division Two, um, But Wade was the guy who sort of taught me the ways of, of being a winger um, and understanding the game and, and being able to analyse and sort of, um, I guess, play well and, and upskilled me. So he sort of brought me in and the time that he wasn't going to coach anymore, I wasn't going to play anymore either, um, but ended up going to West Magpies where um, Tony Trad coaches. So he, he asked me to come over and, and play for him, and I said, yeah, sure, of course awesome. um, yeah, And that allowed me, and I thought at that time, that would allow me to take the next step in my game as well because here is you know, arguably the best uh, the best coach in, in touch football in history, um, and I have an opportunity to go into his team and learn from him week in, week out. Um, but not only that, he's an Australian coach, so he knows what he's talking about. Um, I thought, yeah, sure, that, that sounded like a great opportunity. So went over to Wes and, and he just let my game excel. Um, I, I just took the next step um, in my career from that point as well. I, I didn't think that I could get better, but I got so much better under him uh, as well. Um, and I can't thank him enough. Spezi was there at the time as well. Um, he'd coached me in, in the juniors, uh, the junior Australian team. Um, and he's quite a defensive mind as well. So he actually gave me a lot of good tips and a lot of good advice um, at training camps and and wherever he could on on how to play the position. Um, And that's sort of where, I guess, I was starting to think, yeah, right, I'm I'm a winger now. I'm gonna stick it to the wing and I'm I'm gonna make sure that I make the team. Um, I'm gonna do the best that I can. So those guys really, really gave me the um, the, 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 the leg up that that I needed to to be able to excel. and I just started to watch all the other guys um, playing in, at the elite level. Um, you're Dylan Hennessy's, you you're Scott Buckley's, George Blau, Robert Knuckler. Um, I, I just started to watch the game of touch football a little bit more. And I think myself and the boys at our club um, actually wanted to, you know, understand the game more. We wanted to be at that level that those teams are at. Um, so we just started to focus more on. Um, so those guys have. Always helped me through, and and, and still now, if, if I ask for any advice from those guys, um, you know, they're they're more than happy to, to give that advice. And Phil Guymore who's now the Australian coach as well, um, does the same. He's he's a great, fantastic coach. And unfortunately, he didn't get to um, kick off his his campaign yeah, yeah. or his um, career as a head coach in the right way. But um, you know he he'd given us definitely the right steps, um, put us in the right direction to to get there. So hopefully next year we'll be able to. Out and, and, and smash it again with him
0: um, at coaching position. Yeah, I just wanted to, just before we move on to um, some final questions, just touch on again the, the wing position and, and probably for those young ones <laughs> tuning tuning in. There's a few times that you've made mention of some games that you big games that you played in, and you always seem to refer back to being scored on. Not so much. A lot of people will think about the tries, that winger score, the glamour and putting it down, finishing it off in the end. But you've made mention a few times about the tries that you've been scored on. Is the defensive side of the game a real focus for you, um, particularly at that high performance level?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I didn't even realise I'd said it that often. But, (laughs) yeah, for for my position, um, I would probably say um, I'm 80% defense, 20% offense. Wow. Um, and, and that's not because, you know, when you're attacking, obviously you're on the wing, so you don't see the ball. That's not the reason at all. It, it's more so, and Trent has, has been someone to instill this in, into every every player he coaches, is that you should be focused on defense. You know, if you, if you stop a try here, who knows what will happen down the other end. So for me, the most important part of my game is defense, is stopping as many tries as possible. Um, kind of like a goalkeeper in in, in football in that you want to have a clean sheet. You want to have, not let in any tries on your wing or not be at fault when there is a try scored. And that's just not saying, um, you know, where there's one play and and you forget to get up and they throw it long over your head and they score in the corner. It's like, you know, maybe a touch or a couple of touches ahead, maybe I should have been in a better position to be able to stop that try down the track. Maybe I was out of position at halfway when they were subbing on, and then I got caught out because I'm still trying to get back on site from that one mistake back up the field. Maybe I didn't have the right position from there. So I tend to focus a lot on on defence, um, and rightly so, I guess, because for a winger um, from a winger's perspective, you kind of have to cover two players in the space of maybe yeah. 20 metres, sometimes maybe 15 metres. You know, it's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of the field to to cover. So. It's really important for me to be able to understand what's going on inside me and to be able to stop those tries because at the end of the day um, you can still win one meal you know yep. but winning ten nine is is not not quite as not quite as good because you're still making mistakes Then the other end um, so yeah for, for me it's 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 a really big focus and I know that you know you still score tries as a winger and it's important to to make sure that you finish those tries but you know not not many people talk about the tries that have been scored they talk about oh my goodness how good was that knockdown oh my goodness how good was that chase down or, or how good was was it when it was two on one and you managed to cover both of them in the space of 10 meters like how do you do that that's that's what people talk about, and that's the important part of being a wing, uh, being a winger.
0: Yeah, it's great insight, mate. Yeah, really important um, aspect of the game for sure. All right, we'll finish with a few uh, random ones for you, mate, uh, to finish off. Appreciate you giving up as much time as what you've had. Um, who were some of the funniest teammates that you've had?
1: There's a few. Um, I would probably say James Chute. Um, he's a pretty funny bloke. Um, and the moustache—he's
0: got a great tash yeah. going at the moment. Gee whiz. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hes he's still got it
1: too. <laughs> we've been talking about it a little bit while we've been training um, down at the park. Still got that. Um, he, he's quite a funny bloke. Um, and if you put him with with James Blackwood, then uh, you're going to be laughing for days, really. And uh, I, I try not to not to laugh at their jokes. I try to laugh at the ones that are. <laughs> You know, I, try, I don't want to give them too much of a leg up when they're, <laughs> when they're joking around, um, but they are actually quite good characters to, to have around the, the team. Um, you know, ben Moylan's quite a funny bloke. I didn't get to play with him as much as I would have liked to um, because the boys still today talk about how great a player and how funny yeah. he was to have um, just around dinner and, and lunch and, and things like that. So. Um, the limited times that I got to play or train with him um, I could tell he was he's a pretty funny bloke um, Dylan Hennessy's a pretty funny bloke Scott Bundy he's a, yep. he's a cracker and uh, he likes to get under your skin during the games so but off the field he's a classy bloke and he was my roommate at the um, at the World Cup so we got to know each other quite quite well so those guys are pretty I'd probably say top of the list for me
0: any uh, weird or quirky pre pregame rituals that you go through mate
1: Really, I, I say a prayer before, uh, I guess, before the game um, and at halftime as well. So right before uh, I'm about to walk out on the field after we've done um, our team team talk, um, I'll sort of walk out onto the field a little bit slowly. I'll, I'll say a prayer and sort of point up to the sky and, and just you know pray that I can do my best um, defensively, just do my best to help help the team win. You know, make the stops where I need to. Um, just do what I need to do um, so that my team wins, not so much on my personal performance, just so that my team gets gets the W. Uh, so I'll do that before um, before kick off um, both halves.
0: Have you, you got know. any um, hobbies outside of the sport, mate?
1: I love. I'm a big sports fan in in yep. general. So if I'm not playing touch footy, then I'm sort of thinking about touch footy or watching it. And if if I'm not, it, you know, it can be quite a lot of the time um massive fan of of nfl um, rugby league um, nba like plenty of sports formula one um, yeah i just love it all so any spare moment that i really have i'm I'm probably looking at what's happening in in any of those sports particularly nfl Um, i do a lot of um nfl and nrl fantasy as well so i'm always doing some analysis into um you know player matchups um how they're going should I add who should I think about adding or dropping or you know I'm just sort of thinking of all sorts of different scenarios when it comes to that so uh, if anything I do that but outside of that I love to um, love to travel went to Japan last year before um, you know all the lockdowns sort of happened which was which was very lucky for me I was meant to go to Bali uh, this year as well and um, been to Europe twice I was hoping to go back next year um, so we'll see how all that works
0: out. Who's your NFL team mate? Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, the Eagles, yeah, they're flying high. They're going all right, they're going all right. Um, You've had some great success from a team perspective. Is there any particular game at any level um, from an individual performance that really stands out for you? I don't
1: know. Um, I mean, I think this year's NTL's campaign would have been one of my best, I think, performances uh, from memory. Um, I think the whole tournament, I would have again, thinking defensively, only let in probably two tries in the, on the whole campaign, and that's over right. a span of eight games, I think, yeah, or something like that's that. Huge. So yeah, for me that was that was a massive, massive campaign. Um I think State Cup 2017, but in terms of individual one game performances, I don't really um have any that that stand out, but I'd like to think that the uh um, those ones were, were probably the best ones, and um, 2019 uh, World Cup as well for me was was pretty pretty solid.
0: Final one for you, mate. Um, for those young players at home uh, that are that are looking to get to the Australian level one day, and then we probably touched on. Those that might be in the wing position, particularly I suppose at the moment at a junior level that might think they're just holding holding a spot out there on the sideline. Um, you've made mention of how you've progressed through to the high levels, but if there was one piece of advice that you could give to a young player trying to to get that green and gold jersey one day themselves, what would it be? Just keep working hard.
1: Just keep going at it. Um, it might not be, I guess, today or, or tomorrow that, that you get recognised and then you get selected. Um, it might be a year down the track it might be four years down the track but if if, if you really want um, to to be able to make a team to be selected to be recognized then just keep working hard keep going at it um, you know for me it didn't happen straight away it didn't happen overnight it, it took a long time and even being in the opens program I started in the opens program in 2015 2016 I didn't make my debut until 2018 so that's that's a fair few years of not playing in any sort of state of origin or international teams at all. Just keep working hard. Um, ask the questions that you know your teammate ask questions to your teammates, your coaches, everyone's everyone's here to help. Um, you know, you're not in it alone. So just make sure that you're asking as many questions as you can and just keep going at it. Keep working hard. Um, at training and, and even in your own time as well or in the extra work.
0: Well, Mads, uh, can't thank you enough for the time that you've given. We've gone well over an hour here, but uh, an amazing story, a lot amazing life story of how you've gotten to where you are and just your achievements in the sport as well, only just the beginning um, for you. We we look forward to seeing your career progress at the national level for Australia over the next few years, but thanks for jumping on the podcast. No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me on board. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Lace Switch podcast. I certainly did. It's actually the first time that I've had a one-on-one conversation with Mads and I honestly could have spoke to him for a number of hours. An amazing journey that he's had throughout his life from his migration to Australia from Malawi, but also his progression through the touch football ranks now have cemented his spot in the Australian men's open team. Still got plenty more years left in him as well. And I personally thoroughly look forward to, to seeing his career progress in the green and gold jersey. But stay tuned. We have plenty more guests coming up on the Late Switch podcast. Stay tuned to Touch Football Australia's social media pages for further information on upcoming episodes. But until next time, my name is Scotty Matt. Stay healthy, have fun, and love the game. Peace.